Hi, I'm Donovan. And I'm Matt. And this is... Blacklight the Spotlight. Welcome back to Blacklight the Spotlight, everybody. Uh, We are so, so excited. The fall weather is out. Have you had your pumpkin spice latte yet, Donovan? Uh, No, because it has dairy in it. Yeah, but I have it too. I just let my stomach handle it. Ew, no thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, for those that are joining us for the first time, we'll give you a little bit of a recap of actually the last two episodes, uh, four and five. These were titled Journey to Allyship, parts one and two. So briefly, episode four discussed Donovan's perspective on how to better yourself towards allyship for black women. And episode five talked about my perspective on how to progress towards allyship for gay men. So here were some major takeaways and things that we found uh, in both of the episodes. The first that I think I learned the most is that a lot of these communities do not exist as monoliths. And I loved hearing that from you, Donovan. I think that's a really important reminder for our listeners and for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Too. The other thing I'm excited to explore moving forward is that many of these individuals uh, we spoke about exist at the intersection of two or more underrepresented groups. For example, Donovan is Black and Donovan is a woman. Oh, I am? I am woman, hear me roar. Have you heard that Kesha song, I'm a motherfucking woman? Yes, I love that song. It was so good. Um, Yes, you are. (laughs) Here's the other thing we want to display to those that are on a journey towards allyship. You will make mistakes. You just have to stumble through them, acknowledge the harm, and keep pushing for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, throughout this podcast, we are going to be referring to what we have titled the four A's. These are terms that we will be using to kind of intersect all of our work. They are not, however, interchangeable. They are a journey with steps. So first, you're an apprentice, then you're an ally, then you're an advocate, then you're an activist. Our podcast focuses mostly on uplifting underrepresented voices, as well as offering advice to listeners that are apprentices. So, Ms. Donovan, (laughs) I said brief, right? Right. (laughs) Speaking of inclusion and equity, what are we going to talk about today? Well, Matt, thank you for that marvelous introduction. Uh, So today's episode, y'all, it's dedicated to Black Lives Matter initiatives within higher education. So earlier this summer, um, four individuals, myself, Hannah Guillory, Catherine Allison, and Maggie Thompson, all founded ICTA BIPOC. I think I mentioned that on episode one. So what that stands for is Ithaca College Theater Arts, Black, Indigenous, People of Color. Okay, so we're a collective of current and past students of the Ithaca College Department of Theater Arts who are looking to hold our department accountable for its upholding of white supremacy. So how it kind of got started is um, Hannah Guillory and Catherine Allison were conversing kind of in the wake of the death of George Floyd, uh, all the other high profile murders of Black people. And they were basically Instagramming back and forth or DMing, I think is what you cool cats call it. Um, And the conversation was basically like, what should we do? We need to do something. 
what that ended up leading to was them opening up the conversation with uh, other Ithaca BIPOC students and saying, would anyone be interested in writing a letter? And so me, uh, with my writing background, and then Maggie Thompson um, ended up being brought on board. And so the four of us were tasked with this idea of creating some kind of letter. And so before we could do that, we knew that we had to speak to the current students because, you know, we've been out of school for a minute. And in that time, the department has radically, radically changed, even though it's become much more diverse than it was when we were there. We found that there are a lot of repeated themes, repeated racist themes in particular. So what we decided to do is uh, have a town hall. So this basically was a private event that in which we invited, you know, all of the BIPOC students that we knew, uh, current students, past students. And we said, let's just have this meeting and talk about our experiences in as open of a way as we can. So what ended up, I think the meeting was supposed to be like maybe 90 minutes, ended up being more than three hours because people just had so much to say and had never before received a platform to kind of talk about all of these things openly. It just felt very uh, cathartic in lots of ways. Unfortunately, yes, we were commiserating over shared trauma, but sharing it with one another, yeah, it just, it felt cathartic. And after that happened, we said, okay, you know, the four of us, let's get to work. So we started writing this letter. Um, there was a research component in terms of literally going back through the history of the Department of Theater Arts, looking at the syllabi, talking to current students. It was a lot. And after about six weeks, we finally released this letter. Um, the letter is located on Medium. At this point, it's been read thousands of times. We've amassed a large social media following. We have about 1,500, over 1,500 followers on Instagram. And we've also done a number of press appearances um, on TV, radio. It's been, it's been wild. And I think it's turned into something bigger than any of us realized when we first kind of started this endeavor. Since the letter was released, we've been having ongoing conversations, not only with the Department of Theater Arts, but with the School of Humanities and Sciences. And the conversations that we've been having with uh, the dean in particular are creating rippling effects throughout the entire college, which is just wild. Uh, so yeah, it's very empowering to see that we are part of this impetus of change that has needed to happen for a very, very long time. We're in this for the long haul and this work is not going to be done overnight. So I think the four of us have committed to the fact that, yeah, these conversations are difficult and we're going to be having them for a while. Let's go. The work has been very emotionally burdening, I will say, especially when, you know, we have so many other things going on in our lives. Um, but I think maybe one of the most positive aspects that have come out of this entire thing is the connections that we've been able to form, not only with Ithaca current BIPOC students, but with people outside of the community who are aligned with our mission, who want to help us, or people who are doing the same thing around the country. If you've been following um, Pace University's See Our Truths, Syracuse's Take the Notes SU Drama, uh, there's Company One at Rutgers. Oslo Rep at FSU, Arcadia, 
Juilliard, Stella Adler, you know, those are just ones that I have personal connections to, but this is literally happening all over the country. It's amazing. Students and alumni are saying enough's enough. It's time for change. And so by looking to the activists and the artists who began this work earlier than ICTA BIPOC, we were so inspired in making our specific demands and in how we would kind of move going forward. And so as I mentioned before, Syracuse's drama program is one that had such a huge lasting influence on the work that we have been doing. So I'm so happy to be speaking here today with a graduate of Syracuse University's drama program and someone who has been a key figure in their fight for dismantling anti-Black practices. So Courtney, hello, welcome. Thank you for waiting around and bearing with us. I would love if you could share your full name, your pronouns, how you identify as an artist, and why are you feeling yourself today? Oh, wow. Um, Thank you so (laughs) much for that intro. First of all, um, I feel like I'm so flattered and I feel like I I, I need to bring more to the table. Wow. Okay. Um, So (laughs) my full name is Courtney Ricky Green. I am a Chicago-based actress. And as you said, I graduated from Syracuse University's drama department in 2018. And then um, how do I identify as an artist? I, I am an actress and a singer and a dancer. I'll put, I'm a performing artist. I don't know. I don't want to put myself in one box. Yeah. You know, dancer first. Um, (laughs) I used to be a dancer first, but not anymore. No, (laughs) Um, it's been a while. Uh, And uh, uh, why are you feeling yourself? I am feeling myself um, because I, I got these, uh, these twists in my hair. So I feel Mm -hmm. very, yeah, very confident. Okay. And like, like my overall, um, physical being, I don't know. I just like having a nice protective style in, so I don't have to think about it anymore. And I can just roll out of bed and be like, my hair looks awesome today and not have to put too much thought into it. Yes. And Lord knows with the, uh, changing weather, it is time Mm -hmm. for those protective styles. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Especially in Chicago, you know, it just, it, it gets cold and it snows and you're miserable. And the last thing you want to do is your hair. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Oh my goodness. So yeah, I, I can explain to our listeners how I know Courtney. So as I mentioned, kind of one thing that I wasn't expecting uh, for these mobilizations to do is uh, it connecting me and ICTA BIPOC with other organizers who are, you know, doing the work at other schools around the country. So Courtney and I attended an anti-racism event specifically for Black students. Um, it was organized by the Craft Institute. So it was a space created for Black students, but um, they also asked organizers, including Courtney and myself, to be there. And I just remember, Courtney, you speaking about um, your experience at Syracuse and kind of Mm -hmm. like what everything that was going on. And I think for me, it just, it put a lot of things into perspective because in a way, I feel like the work we've been doing at ICTA BIPOC has been kind of um, in a void, you know, because Prior to that, we hadn't been in close communication with other organizers. So to hear Mm -hmm. how it's going for other people, I was just like, whoa, mind (laughs) blown. And I think that event was so beautiful because we were able to kind of crowdsource, um, I I guess, advice for how best to kind of navigate Mm 
<laughs> these treacherous waters. Yeah, it, it was great. Yeah, because you got yeah. to, uh, for me, it was very mind opening um, also in that I, kind of, I guess, I don't know, Syracuse, it seems so bleak sometimes doing this mm. work. So you don't, and, and, you, and you don't really know what the outcome is going to be when you start it. You just hope that uh, teachers will stop being racist. You hope that the work you're doing is going to get, is going to enact some kind of change. So it was uplifting to hear mm -hmm. success stories from other universities and also uh, re-energizing, re-motivating for me at least to, um, to, to, to hear other tactics that organizers were using to, to implement change. Definitely. Completely agreed. And also, there's something so special about being on a Zoom call with all Black people. Oh I mean, my gosh, yes. How often does that happen, you know? Yes. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, that has been amazing. And so before we launch more into SU drama, I want to know a little bit more about you as an artist. So for instance, when, you know, we've only met each other virtually. So I had no idea that you were based in Chicago. So I really am curious to know more about that. Um, you know, you and I both went to schools in upstate New York. And so yes. I don't know, I don't know about you, but for me, at least there was this, this push or this assumption that, you know, after you graduate, you move to New York and you try to be on Broadway. And yes. for me, I was like, hell no, that is not my <laughs> truth. And so yes. I would love to know kind of what brought you to Chicago and how did you make that decision? Yeah, um, I was born in Chicago. I, mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in the city. I, I love the city. Uh, when I was younger, well, for high school, my family moved to the suburbs and I was miserable. So <laughs> the minute I had like the option, the, the choice to go back to Chicago, I wanted to. And I actually went to DePaul for two years as an English oh, major wow. with a minor in theater studies. Yeah, in the city of Chicago. Um, and then I transferred to Syracuse. And uh, it, I mean, it was a very similar mindset as you described, you know, you, you, you go to Syracuse in upstate New York with the intention of moving to New York City afterwards. I mean, they even have a whole like Tepper semester lined up in the in New York City. So you can uh, even smooth out that transition from Syracuse from the college mindset to being like a full adult in New York City. But mm -hmm. I had no interest in moving to New York City. I don't have the um, the bank account to support mm -hmm. a lifestyle in New York City. Yeah. So I would rather just, uh, I, I opted to come back to Chicago. Chicago has a great theater scene. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of friends in Chicago that are doing great stuff in Chicago. I wanted to be more integrated into the Chicago theater scene. So I went to Syracuse to get my degree and then mm -hmm. leave. I had no interest <laughs> in, I had no interest in being in upstate New York for a, a no. prolonged period of time or even New York City. It's just too much. You know, I have anxiety. I don't I Chicago is enough for me. I don't need that big city uh experience. I, I get it. I get it great in Chicago and I yeah. don't need it in New York. I don't need it's just too many people. It's too many people. It's oversaturated. Yes. It's just too much for me. Yes. Wow. You and I completely share the same thoughts. I, I remember when I first moved to Philly, I was you know, doing the thing where I would take the mega bus into New York at like five o'clock in the morning for auditions. And even just being in New York for like a 24 hour period, just my anxiety levels would be through the roof. And I'm like, mm -hmm. people choose to live this way. I, I don't know. understand. 
Oh. <laughs> I, I will say that. So I was, I've been in and out of, I, I'm paying for like pretty much an empty apartment in New York right now during the pandemic, but I, I knew it was time to peace out um, because I, the, because the rats I saw are <gasps> the size of, they're like the size of squirrels and small cats. No, uh, <laughs> there are pretty, there are pretty big rats in Chicago too, but they just, they're not as, um, I feel like they're just not as aggressive as they are in New York. <laughs> Wait, actually, it's so weird that you mentioned that because there was just a, um, some kind of report that was released about the quote unquote rattiest cities. And I actually think Chicago was like in the, Chicago might've been one, number one. No, yeah, Chicago was number one. But in defense of <laughs> Chicago, the article was written by Orkin. So uh, the reports mm. are from Orkin. I, CNN oh reported the article, but all of their facts are from Orkin. So I mean, come <laughs> on, how, how, uh, take it with a grain of salt. You know, how much that can we trust so that? Funny. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. And yeah, yeah. I, I'm so excited to hear, to learn that you're in Chicago. Cause I think for me, um, when I was in Ithaca and I was considering kind of what my next steps were, I knew I didn't care about New York. I knew, you know, if Broadway wants to call me one day, sure. But for me, Broadway wasn't the end all be all. And I was really interested in pursuing um, a regional theater career, which is exactly what I've done. And Mm so I was actually considering between like Chicago and DC and Philly. So who knows? Maybe, maybe one day I'll move to Chicago. I really, I really do. Minus the weather. I really do love the city. Yeah. Um, I know Ithaca, I have a a few friends from Ithaca that I met when I studied abroad in London and, um, yeah. And I I know they, I I know your school, your alma mater, Ithaca does a good job of like actually promoting Chicago and other cities in terms Mm -hmm. of having a theater career. I know Syracuse was very much just like, it's New York or LA or bus. That's it. That's all we know about. (laughs) And I would always be like, there is so much more out there and it can't just be New York. Like you can't just tell every student go to New York or that's it. You won't have a successful career. It's false. Yeah. I'm, I'm also curious about uh, knowing a little bit more about the student body of the theater department, because, Mm -hmm. you know, for me having, gone to Ithaca, I'm someone who's been super lucky in terms of be living in a lot of different places and being exposed to sep- like different kinds of diversity from a young age. And it was clear when I got to Ithaca that that was not the case for, mm-hmm. for these uh, little white kids from these white ass towns, right? Yes. For so yes. many of them, I feel like I was their first legit interaction with a black person. And mm-hmm. some of them did not know what to do with me. So w- uh, what was your experience like in that sense? Very similar. Yeah. I mean, you know, I grew up in Chicago. My parents were um, very much uh, about teaching me about diversity uh, in, in all cultures from all backgrounds. We did obviously primarily engage in black activities and interactions and, um, it was uh, it was jarring a little bit for me coming to Syracuse and being like, oh, okay, so I'm like one of four other black people in my mm-hmm. entire grade right now, like across yeah. all majors. Cool. Mm-hmm. When I auditioned for Syracuse, I even asked the person, the professor, uh, 
auditioning me at the time, I was like, what is the, what's the, how many black people are in the department? Basically, what's the diversity mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. And she did kind of lie to me. She, I don't, I don't know if it's just, so, she was oh. white and I don't know if it's just something that never crossed her mind to even mm-hmm. think about <laughs> <laughs> or even pay attention to as a teacher. But she was just like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty good. It's diverse. We, we have a lot of black students in the department and that was just, it was false when I got Yay. there. And, and it was a lot of, uh, it's upstate New York. There are a lot of very entitled, privileged, white students mm-hmm. that, I, I mean, like you said, yeah, had, I, I, I don't even know if it was that they had never um, met a black person, but they, a lot of them had never actually had like a sit down conversation with a black person that was like any, that, that was, that wasn't surface level. Well, and, and that's a thing, right? Not, not that they had, May I don't know, maybe some of them had never met a black person, but for so many of the people I went to school with, they grew up in these very homogenous um, upbringings where it would be like these all white schools, right? So in terms of the conversations and like the microaggressions that would come out on the daily because they truly did not know that what they were saying was not acceptable. I mean, it's just, yeah, it was astronomical for me. Yeah, it was the same. And I think part of what helped me navigate those kinds of that, that kind of environment was being older Mm. and having more life experience and being more articulate Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, pointing out specific instances and and just calling like these, you know, dumb 18 year olds, 17 year olds out on saying stupid shit on, on, on like perpetuating racist narratives that just don't exist. Telling people, you know, what, what's going on in your mind is not accurate, is not correct, and also just like isn't real at all. The things that the that the beliefs that you hold are not true. And you're at a theater school. I don't know about you. Did you? Uh, it's probably the same at Ithaca. There's uh, quite a few white students that were very vocally, you know, conservative and Republicans and staunch in their beliefs oh, wow. about that. And and I, we were. Uh, I was always like, how can you? You're 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 eating lunch with you know um you're you're calling this person your your best friend your gay best friend whatever your best friend who is homosexual who is a lesbian and you are are actively supporting people that want to harm your friends. Wow, that's that's interesting. That was not my experience. I- Ithaca is such um a liberal, crunchy as hell college mm. town. So those people would have been completely ostracized on our campus. <laughs> Luckily. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So walk me through you graduating. You left, you thought you left Syracuse behind, right? (laughs) And then this summer comes around. So Uh, I I guess, okay, I'm going to use a theater term. What was the inciting incident of um, Syracuse's movement for you and kind of in general? Yeah. So Oh my gosh, I really wanted to be done with Syracuse. I graduated <laughs> early. I graduated wow. a semester early. That's how much I wanted Ooh. to be done with Syracuse and mm. higher education in general. <laughs> so to be roped back into it a whole year later after feeling totally severed from it in every possible way <laughs> to come back to it was like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do this. And then also to unearth trauma with it um, was, right. yeah. So how it started. Obviously, uh, the inciting incident for most people was George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of conversations were happening with my 
friends about how to enact change, how to how to push people towards mm-hmm. change, and how to 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 call out people that had harmed us mm. in in multiple ways that had never been reprimanded or punished for it right. in, in any way. Mm. Um, so I made a Facebook status detailing some of the raci- racism that I had dealt with both at DePaul and mm. at Syracuse. It oh. was just about like higher education in general. And then also just like workplace environment. Cause I also have been, I've worked in like the restaurant industry for like uh, eight years. Mm-hmm. So talking about some of the stuff that I just witnessed or uh, dealt with firsthand. And then um, my friend Casey Boykins, she also made a Facebook status about some of the racism that she dealt with just at uh, Syracuse from her classmates and from her teachers. And, um, the, the response was, uh, very interesting to watch. So on my Facebook status, everyone was just like, yes, support, woo, go, yes, queen, mm-hmm. whatever. And I was like, thank you guys so much. And then on Casey's Facebook status, um, and maybe it's because she had more specific, um, instances that she detailed in hers, but, uh, one specific instance that she mentioned in her Facebook status got the attention of um, a, a, a teacher, an old professor, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, who she was friends with on Facebook, and this professor commented on her Facebook status, basically said, I don't know which teacher said that, but th- the intention was not to be racist. Oh. The incident that this teacher was talking about, uh, she was the professor involved in it. So she <laughs> she was trying to absolve oh. herself, yeah, from blame for that racist incident. And the incident, I should have just said this in the, the jump, the incident that she was referring to was when Casey uh, was in class and she raised her hand and asked... Um, something about like how she should prepare herself for success and what roles she should be seeking out when she graduates from school, something of that nature, like Mm post-grad, what should she do? And this teacher white, this white teacher said, Mm -hmm. um, stand up. Oh, you'll pass the paper bag test. You'll be fine. (gasps) No. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was kidding. Very serious. Oh my God. Casey mentioned that incident on her Facebook status. This teacher commented on the Facebook status and was like, whoever that professor was, I don't think they meant any harm by it. And they weren't trying to be racist. And then I hopped on the Facebook status because I am, I, I won't usually speak up for myself, but I will speak up for other people, especially when it's about uh, racist incidents like that. And when people are trying to absolve themselves of any kind of blame, um, and relinquish themselves of guilt for, for (laughs) just to say something like that to a student is so horrible. And Mm. I, and then to, to, to one, uh, to, to double down on it and suggest that, uh, a student should be okay with that and should not feel traumatized by that experience. Oh, that's what she also did. She was trying to absolve herself from blame and say, you know, the teacher probably wasn't trying to be too racist when she said that thing. And then um, she also said, for what it's worth, I was also abused as a student because a professor told me that I needed to get rid of my accent. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, it's, oh it's, it's just, it was nonsense. It was like uh, uh, an acting teacher told me to get rid of my accent and that hurt my feelings. So as a professor, as an acting teacher now, I think it's okay to engage in um, abusive practices like that because I went through it too. Rather than just like, you know, saying, hey, you know what? I fucked up. That was wrong and racist and I shouldn't have done that. And no student should have to endure that. She just doubled down on it. And it was gross and incredibly inappropriate. And I hopped on Facebook and I was like, you can't, you can't say things like that. It was still racist. Like what is wrong with you? Um, so I want to, I want to interrupt for one moment and I just want to specifically name the things that we are talking about. So what that woman, I assume this is a white woman, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What she did is classic problematic white woman behavior. And it is Mm -hmm. literally a micro invalidation of a black person's experience by saying that something happened that caused trauma and hurt was not racist is unacceptable. You as a white person, you don't get to decide what is racist. Okay. So to, um, completely invalidate and undermine, um, Casey's hurt like that, it just makes me sick. And then I think, um, something else Matt knows that I don't like dumbing down these conversations and explaining what a particular thing means. Um, that being said, it might be possible that not all of our listeners are familiar with the paper bag test. Uh, oh, do you yeah. feel comfortable explaining it to anyone listening? Absolutely. Um, so the paper bag test was a, a test um, established in the Jim Crow era that perpetuated uplifted the uh, mindset that people that were of a certain skin color were deemed more worthy, were going to be more successful, were more worthy of sharing space with white people, basically, were more worthy of being uplifted than their darker skinned counterparts. So they would literally take a brown paper bag and put it next to your face. And if you were darker than the paper bag, then um you weren't, I don't, I don't even know, you, you weren't good enough. You weren't, you weren't going to get jobs. Yeah. You were deemed unworthy. And if you were lighter than the paper bag, then you would be fine. Then you could be cast in something. I mean, they used it for casting. They used it for, for parties. Even. For parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They used it. They, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's an example of, um, colorism that has been perpetuated through time. Even, I mean, Mm -hmm. we could literally have an entire episode devoted to colorism in the theater industry, colorism on Broadway, right? Like that is, that is a conversation that (laughs) I would love to unpack, but Uh wow. The fact that a teacher used that language and, you know, unfortunately I believe that, um, on another, it, it was probably Syracuse's call to action, but I swear on another school's uh, letter I saw the same thing so like why are these problematic why, people using yeah. this language why why is it in their vocabulary to begin with right yeah and the teacher tried to I remember her trying to justify it well first of all she said she never said that and then she also yeah. said that she um if, and if she did say it uh then she was only go she only meant to use it as a learning tool but not as uh an actual judgment on someone's appearance wow. and it was all false and then a, a bunch of other students hopped in or alumni hopped in and were like no we were all in the class when you said mm-hmm. it and that's exactly what you said so i don't know why you're even trying to uh spin the truth right now yeah and i think something else that it perpetuates is um the idea that the closer to whiteness you are um 
you know, phenotypically, the more likely you are to experience success in your life. Yeah. Historically, dark-skinned Black people have been shut out of, yeah. well, not only the theater industry, but society in general. So, mm-hmm. who child. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, sorry. I, know, so. I just... Sorry okay. to take you on that history lesson, <laughs> but um, okay. So to jump back in, so jump these statuses, in. these statuses happened. Uh, We're on then, Facebook. We're fighting and, with old professors, and mm-hmm. then um, uh, I'm at the same time. I'm also talking to my fellow alumni and trying to figure out a way we can change the environment at SU hmm. because. Uh, we were talking to current students and they were saying like, nothing has changed in the the two years that you've graduated. You know, the teachers are even worse. This teacher that says the, has said the N word multiple times has, is still a teacher and nothing has Mm -hmm. been done about it. Yeah. So um, we were looking at the work uh, being done at Juilliard. I think there was like a letter or some kind Mm -hmm. of template letter that they had written at the time. Uh, that they were sending out to students and alumni to like fill out and send to, to Juilliard themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was also a open letter that was written by um, the black actors at second city in Chicago that I, I worked at second mm-hmm. city for um, almost a year when I moved back to Chicago after I graduated okay. and I got um, I, I interacted with a lot of the black actors because they're so great. I mean, they were so great about, I was just a host there. I was not an actor. I was just there to, you know, bus tables and seat people. Mm-hmm. Um, but whenever they saw me working or whenever I, and whenever they were black actors in the space, they would always like check in with me, see how you were doing, connect with you on some level. Mm-hmm. So I, I got to befriend a lot of them and they wrote an open letter to second cities, uh, CEO and all of the people in charge there um, addressing the racism that they endured as actors and as employees of Second City. And I loved the letter and I modeled a lot of the ultimate, the, the final call to action letter written to SU from Second City's letter. Cause it was badass. Um, they were okay. just like, we are not, let's call it out. Let's call it all out. You know, we Mm. are performers. We are the reason that you have money in your pockets. Okay. Um, We are the reason, you know, we're the reason for the success of your, your theater and we're, we're done with it. The way that the second city, I guess, chose to voice their solidarity was not up to par. And it was the same at SU. It was the same mm-hmm. at, uh, with, SU's, with SU's drama department, at least. The department chair and the drama department overall both released statements saying, you know, we stand in solidarity with our um, Black performers, our Black artists, and we will continue to, like, engage in anti-racism efforts. It was it was just something kind of, it was a lot of lip service, basically. Yeah. And yeah. so, it, it, especially when you know, they, they weren't addressing any of the problems that they uh, caused in the past. Right. They weren't addressing any of the racist, um, any of the racism that they perpetuated them, themselves by their own hands. That they, they just, they were acting like they had been doing nothing wrong for all right. these years. And we, uh, me and other alumni were like, that's just not the case. And if you're not going to call it out, if you're not going to mention it, then we will, I guess. Because yeah. we realize the power alumni have when it comes to wanting to enact change at the, the, the higher education level, because so much 
of the university's success is dependent on, you know, word of mouth and what, right. uh, yeah, what the alumni say, what, what people that have graduated and have experienced firsthand have to say. And if we, if alumni gather together and tell the next generation, the, the next applicants, hey, if you go to the school, you will have to deal with racism. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound too great for the university. <laughs> so it might make them want to, you know, move things along a, a, a bit faster. Yeah. So yeah. we were, we were, yeah, we gathered together to use our um, collective power, our collective alumni um, influence to call out the university and push them to take dealing with racism more seriously in a, in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that. So, okay. Tell me more about, um, your collective. Um, how, Mm -hmm. how big is it at this point? Is it just current students? Is it students and alumni? Um, are there, are white people part of your collective? Yeah. What, what can you tell me about it? Yeah. So my group, uh, has nine alumni working on it, including me. When we first started, there were maybe, it was like, oh, I think there were like three, Juna, Sophie, Alyssa. (laughs) (laughs) There were like three white girls involved and me and Casey. And the minute uh, I, I kind of just like assumed the, the leader role, I felt it was probably more appropriate for me to be in charge. Yeah. Um, and I immediately was just like, I, I reached out to all of the, my close friends that were graduates that I knew would want to help out on this and that were also black because I thought having black voices involved in this was very, very important. And um, I, I have made like a conscious effort with the the white people working on it that, you know, sometimes they need to take a step back. We have, um, uh, it's... There are nine alumni, including me. I want to say it's about 50-50 black and white. The white alumni primarily just do like scheduling work. And um, they have assumed the the role of like, if Courtney, if, if Courtney tells me to do something, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> or like, um, and then um, maybe like ask questions. They're there to just mostly bounce ideas off of, mm-hmm. but uh they, um, they know ultimately like, you know, what, what their job is, is to get the word out and to mm. help, help, help do the, help do the work, but not necessarily put too much of their own personal feelings into it. Centering. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not you trying for, to center it. Right. Thank you for answering that. The reason I ask is because for ICTA BIPOC, that's actually a conversation that came up. Um, so at this point, our collective numbers about, a hundred people. And as we were sending the letter, we posed the question to our collective, okay, should we have white people sign this? And I think Mm. kind of our, um, uh, because, you know, Ithaca has a lot of incredibly well-known household names. Um, a lot of those are white people. And so we said, Mm -hmm. oh, this could be interesting to kind of get the word out if we have the influence of these white Broadway actors. Um, Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we decided against that because I think for so many of us, our problems with the theater department, with our experiences were not only because of teachers, but it was because of 
white people, uh, mm-hmm. white students who perpetuated harm against us. And so I think mm-hmm. in the time, in the years since some of these white students have graduated, yes, they have recommitted themselves to an anti-racist practice. But that being said, for a lot of us, it didn't sit right having people sign who like were the same people who were causing us harm years oh, ago. Yeah. Yeah, that was a weird, it was weird uh, for me as well. And then I think some of the other black alumni Mm. seeing, because we definitely had some white peers sign their name on, sign their names on our call to action that were, (laughs) that that we, that we were taught having conversations about, you know, saying this person said this racist thing, this person said this racist (laughs) thing. Do we want to even include them in this? Yeah. Mm. But we all, I mean, there's uh, the reason why we included white people is because honestly, there are just so few black people in SU drama's mm. department, mm-hmm. drama department. Yeah, that we didn't think, or maybe I, I didn't think that it uh, it wouldn't get as much spread. Yeah, without having some, without just having. Yeah, it was more just about numbers than, um, sure. yeah, racial background. Definitely. I, yeah, I hear that. So yeah. tell me. Once this, so tell me more about the call to action that went out. What were the immediate kind of, not repercussions, but what happened in the immediate aftermath? And then mm-hmm. kind of take me through the history of like any recent updates you feel comfortable sharing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we gave the department chair 72 hours to respond. And yes. he responded in, yeah. He responded in 24 hours. He was scared shitless. <laughs> he was like, oh, Oh my gosh, I immediately, tw- within 24 hours, he was like, I, I responded within the, the 72 hour window. Is this, <laughs> yeah, is, is, is this okay? Basically. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was uh, very empowering. Um, and he started, he engaged in a lot of conversations with us after we released that letter uh, about basically all of the hangups within the department that are uh, a trickle down effect from the university's uh, rules, you know, at large, there's so much red tape, there's so mm-hmm. many setbacks, and yeah. so, so many time constraints or things that just take forever to happen. Yep. At the the university level, even just at the just within the drama department, which seems like such a small community. And maybe because it is a smaller community, it doesn't get that much engagement or involvement at the university level. Mm-hmm. But um, so we got a uh, we sent out the letter to alumni and current students first, and uh, they were in full support of it. They wanted to be involved as much as possible. Then we sent it to the department chair. He responded within. 24 hours and we immediately started having meetings with him engaging Mm -hmm. in conversations with not only the department chair but also um administrators in other uh offices at the university we started having uh talk correspondence with um the office of Equity, uh, the E O I R S office. There's so many acronyms that there you know, are. It's, oh it's, it's, it's too much. Equal opportunity and inclusion resolution services. That's what it is. Um, we started having conversations with them, and they were like, "Oh my god, what the hell is going on in this drama department? Why is this teacher so racist?" And we did mm-hmm. end up getting one professor out of the department, thankfully, yes. before the semester started, and also our call to action inspired the current black students to write their own list of demands 
Mm. Um, yeah, so they could wow. get more. Res- they could get more of a response from the department, mm-hmm. and 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 they could target things that we didn't target in our call to action. And then the non-performance black current students also wrote their own list of demands. And so now we have three wow. lists of demands at SU. Yeah, which is like overwhelming, mm-hmm. but also like exciting. Well, I'm curious, have these three different groups, have you been in conversation with one another? And is there any plan to make it like one big group? That is what I'm hoping for. I will mm-hmm. say it is hard to keep in communication with the current students because they are are understandably incredibly busy and probably right. stressed and overwhelmed because I can't imagine trying to go to theater school over Zoom. That just Mm-mm. does not seem no, fun at all. So I can't I can't even imagine the stress that they are dealing with. Um, but on our on on my side on my end we have like compiled all of the demands together and seen where there's some overlap and we are talking to um was well, so what I was telling you earlier we we had a meeting today with this committee that is forming at VPA the School of Visual and Performing Arts at SU mm-hmm. about this DEI committee that they are forming um that they want and some a, a drama alumni to be involved with because mm-hmm. uh because of the the call to action and um because SU, I guess, wants to get more anti-racist and more diverse. And this committee just recently formed over like the past few months, which is wild to me. Like it's crazy that the College of Visual and Performing Arts does not, did not already have some kind of diversity committee in place. I think it's because the same way there, there are offices being created only within the past couple of years. I'm like, why was this not? Why was this structure not already in place? Why is this just now happening? The people we talked to were great. They were very like candid. They just wanted to have like a sit down talk with us um, and figure out what exactly the committee needs to do for the drama department and what are ways that they can bridge the gap for students and faculty when it comes to dealing with diversity and inclusion issues that arise in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, which was great. So we got to we got to talk to them and help them figure out ways to 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 be effective uh, on campus. I love that. I love that. Thank you. And then the so the final question I have for you is what have you learned from all this? I've learned that Black students, black performing artists need to be uh, protected that don't get that don't get the right amount of care and attention that they deserve. I mean, they're paying the same amount of money. They auditioned the same way that their white peers did. And to not feel special in the way that their white peers do, um, it's just not fair to them. And I, and I think it's and, and maybe it's because like in the past, I always felt like I was getting like pushed to the side. So I don't want I want to make sure that like no one else after me is. Yes. Everything that we're doing is so that future generations of students will be able to go to school in a safe, equitable environment. That's what this is about. Who else am I doing this for? It's not for me. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Courtney, thank you so much. Thank you for just allowing 
me to kind of pick your brain and just being able to speak on all of these things. Yeah, thank you for being here today. I'm gonna thank you so um, much for having me. Absolutely, I'm gonna throw it to Matt. Yes, thank you so much for all of that, Courtney. Can you please tell us before you go a bit about an organization that we'd love to tie into this episode? Can you tell us about Brave Space Alliance? So the reason why I wanted to highlight Brave Space Alliance is because we one of the things in our call to action was changing the term safe space to a brave space because we wanted to empower the students to feel like uh, you know, that they, they, they could speak out in the moment about issues that they were dealing with in class with faculty and with their peers. And we thought brave was a better word than safe. But Brave Space Alliance is the first Black-led, trans-led, LGBTQ center located on the south side of Chicago. Um, and the outreach work that they do is fantastic. The uplifting work that they do is fantastic. Um and I just, I, I, I think they're great. They, they empower student, the students, they empower artists and um, they hold a lot of workshops and do a lot of training um, to help uh, build strategies and uh, to, to, to help uplift people and engage in like anti-oppression work and anti-racism work and anti uh, and, and do more inclusionary work. Fantastic. And thank you for that. Folks, you can donate to them uh, in two places. You can follow them on Instagram at Brave Space Alliance, all one word, or you can go to bravespacealliance.org slash donate. Awesome. Well, again, Courtney, thank you so much. I wish you the best of luck in next steps for all things Syracuse. And I can't wait. I'm so happy that we're connected now because I will certainly be following your journey. So thank you. Thank you again for your artistry, for your activism, and for making a difference in our community. Thank you so much. Thank you.